Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. I'm Pastor Norm. If you haven't met me yet, uh, I am the senior pastor here at Mount Hope. And I believe we have one of the best churches in northern Michigan. Hallelujah. And the good news is, God's not done with us yet. Amen to that. Why the church? And you can keep seeing that. You know, I'm milking this thing, all right? Week four. How many weeks can he get out of the church? A lot. A lot, yeah. And, and I'm telling you, every time that I press in and just ask the Lord, all right, what's, gonna, what's this week? What's next week? What's coming? It keeps coming back to the church. Norm, I'm not done yet. These are my people, and what we're going to see in this next year or so is too critical for us not to be in the right place. So if you're new to what we have been studying in this series, we have already talked about the fact that we are better together. Amen? You know, as I look at all you guys, and I'm looking down here, and Clarence and Shane are laughing. Laughter is like a good medicine, isn't it? And all morning I've been watching you guys poking at each other, jabbing at each other, laughing. And the, the prayer partners came in, and where's Sandy? Sandy even prayed over me that I'd get the spirit of laughter on me. So I don't know what that's going to be all about, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. The fact is, we need each other, Right? And together, there is power. The Bible says where two or more gather in His name, He is in their midst. There's a reason that Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against it. There's a reason He said that. There's something about our coming into a, a body, a body of unity, where God is able to move. It, it presents him an atmosphere that he can just show up in a big way. And how many would like to see that? I think we already have, amen? We already have. The Lord has already been moving today. And then last week I talked a little bit about the way we live tells people where to go. Right? If they watch you, where are you sending them? Are you sending them to heaven or are you sending them to hell? It's really pretty easy when you think about it. I hope that it's to heaven. Amen. Would you stand with me one more time as we just ask the Lord to show up here? Lord, I know I'm, I'm just human. And I know I'm flawed just as much as every other human being in this room. But Lord, I also know I'm saved by grace. I know that my name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Lord, and when I die or when you come back for your church, I am going to be with you. Hallelujah. But I also know there are still people, maybe even in this room, that have not yet bent their knee to Jesus. And I would pray today that you would supercharge this body of believers, help us to understand our place in the church, especially the local church, and Lord, help us to find our place 
so that great things can happen, so that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us ears to hear today, eyes to see what you want us to see. Tenderize our hearts so that we can receive from you. And Lord, even if this man doesn't say it, I pray every man and woman, boy and girl in this room would hear something from you today. We love you, and we commit this body of believers into your hands. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may once again sit down. Um, where's Andy? You back there? Nope. All right, if he comes in, just ask him if he can get the slides up there so I can see him. How many have ever thought about this? Our navel is a constant reminder that we all started life connected to another human being. We spend all of our lives trying to get reconnected to someone. God created us as relational people. And this was a quote from Dr. Richard Dobbins. That nine-month period that each one of us spend in our mother's womb helps develop strong maternal bonds between mother and child. And of course, without the mother, the child would die, right? Our belly button, how many have one? You know, some of you are innies, some of you are outies, whatever. Our belly button is strong evidence that from the start, we are intended to be relational with other people. That is how God designed us to be. If you don't believe that this is enough evidence, just think about what Jesus told the Pharisees when they defended a man divorcing his wife. And I'm going to look at Matthew 19 here, starting with verse 4. Jesus started by just giving them a little bit of a dig here. Oops. Is that right? There we go. Haven't you read the Scriptures? Well... Who's he talking to? The Pharisees. Of course they'd read the scriptures. Of course they knew it because they studied it every single day. They were the guide for the Jewish people of their day. So when Jesus said this, he was just saying, really guys, have you really read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. Made them what? That's right. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Think about that just for a minute. First, Jesus alludes to family, right? I mean, how would the young man leave his father and mother if... He wasn't raised in their home, so it's kind of a deduction that he was part of a family before he married. Then Then we can deduce that this child, after being raised by his father and mother, when he was old enough to get married, he went and he found a bride, the right woman, and he was going to leave the covering of his parents to begin his own family. When the two are joined together in holy matrimony, Jesus said the two shall become one. The marriage relationship is so strong between husband and wife that Jesus condemns anyone trying to split them apart. That's the power of relationship. That's what I want you to see. God designed us to need each other and to be with each other. And let me just say, you know, my, myself personally, 
We, my wife and I, Pastor Barb, we spend a lot of time together. But I've been sick lately going through this bug. She's been sick lately going through this bug. So she's at home this last week trying to recover. I'm already healed from that, at least. Thank you. Thank the Lord. But this whole week, you know what I thought about? I miss my wife. It's, it's silly stupid. As much as we're together, but our relationship is so strong that even if we're apart for eight hours, I'm like, oh. So we're texting each other, you know, sending each other little emoticons or whatever you call those things. <laughs> little happy faces and little sad faces because the other one's not. How many of you men, when your wife gets sick, you wish you could, well, maybe not get sick for them, but you, you know, you kind of wish you could take it from them? And, and, and that's, that's what we went through the past few weeks is just, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'll pray for you, you know. Don't bless me with any more of what you already have. <laughs> when a man and a woman get married, not only do they become one, but they in turn join their two families together. How many have in-laws, or as I notoriously like to say, outlaws? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Sometimes it can be an awesome relationship, sometimes not. But the fact is that when the husband and the wife become one, their families are joined together too. You're interconnected. You begin to network, as I like to call it. And what does it mean to be networked? It means to be linked together, to be connected like you weren't before. I think of my, I, I, we have four families now, excuse me, three families that we're connected to. It'll be four. See that, Troy, that's a prophecy. It'll be soon. <laughs> it's, he's in the back all red now. No, he, he wants to find a good wife, so that, that day's going to come soon. The family was God's plan for you and me. We're not supposed to be alone. We're not supposed to be hermits. We're supposed to be relational from the very beginning. Now, your local church should be seen in the same light, can be seen in the same light. Hopefully it is in the same light as your own family, that this is your family. How many would agree that this church is your church family? And you know what? A lot of times we spend more time with our church family than we do with our own family. That's a good thing. Because some of us, are our other family members are still... In other cities, yeah, that wasn't where I was going, but way to put it. Yeah, other worlds, that's the way to put it. They're still not connected to Jesus, so if we hang out with them for too long, that can influence us. We need to influence them, not them influence us. So what you need to do when you become a Christian is get solid with your church family. Then you can go after the rest of your family, and they won't be able to pull you down if they don't already know Jesus. Amen? The local church, then, is another way that God builds strong relationships between His people. She is comprised of like-minded believers who serve the Lord, who serve each other, and who serve their community. And I believe that that's what we're striving to do here. Now, Jesus wasn't specific 
on what each local church should look like. And, and I believe that was for good reason. David, do you think God wanted to give us a little latitude because every church is called to do, well, the primary purpose, of course, is to reach people for Jesus, but every church is called to do different things. We're, we're, we're not all designed to look like every other church, although there should be some similarities, of course. We must realize that Scripture talks about there being strength in numbers. And this, this next passage, Ecclesiastes 4, two people are better off than one, for they can, what? Help each other succeed. And you know, we could run right past that, but think about that. Since I have been in the church, I have been more successful than I was prior to being in the church. I had people that would encourage me, Norm, go after that promotion. Now, this was years ago. Go after that promotion. Don't just sit back and let everything come by you. Go after it. God's with you. And that gave me a confidence that I didn't have prior to my relationship with Jesus. So that was brothers and sisters encouraging. So remember, we're here to help each other to succeed. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's why we can't be that lone ranger. We can't be that hermit out there that lives in a little cabin in the middle of the Pigeon River. We just can't be that person because if you fall, who's going to pick you up? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And last night, my wife and I we had the door open because when we went to bed, it was 50 degrees. And by this morning, it was 30. I'll tell you what, we were together this morning. <laughs> it was cold. Number Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is wisdom. This is relational stuff right here that God wants us to understand as he looks at you and me and his church. Now the subtitle of this message would have been a three-strand cord is not easily broken. And this is where, of course, it would come from. Together we are better. Together we are stronger. And God knew this. That's why he's designed all of us to be relational with each other. God made us to be a part of a we relationship, not a me relationship. Can you say that with me? God made us to be a part of a we relationship, not a me relationship. It's so important that we get this into our spirit. Because if you're the me person, and a lot of us are, you know, when we look at how people are being raised today and, and, and what they look like as young adults or, or even older people, even senior citizens sometimes, they're so self-focused, self-reliant. They don't think they need anybody else, but they really do. You cannot be healthy if you're alone. As I see it, and, and this has to do with modern parenting, and I'm not picking on anybody intentionally. If the shoe, shoe fits, you might want to try it on, but Anyway, modern parenting. Today, many 
many parents let their little child, their son or their daughter, believe that they're the center of the universe. This is a dangerous place to be. Because as you do that, what's going to happen when they grow up and that little tyke realizes that only mom and dad thought that way. When the boss doesn't think that the world revolves little Johnny, that it doesn't revolve around him, then, then what's going to happen when he's fired because, well, didn't you realize I didn't want to do that? So what's the alternative to raising your child like this? Teach your children to value others. Hello? Teach your children to value others. Teach them to honor others. Teach them that God made us to belong. We belong to each other. And teach them that as they bless others, God will bless them in return. It's a reciprocal relationship, but it's intended that we teach our children this at a young age, not waiting until they're 24 before they figure it out. That's why one of the reasons why we've been seeing all this stuff on the news. These kids think the world revolves around them, and it doesn't. And if you happen to be in this area, I'm, I'm, please, understand my heart today. I'm not trying to beat up on the 20-year-olds. I love you guys, and I see so, such a bright future for you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he intends on you being a, a success. But you've got to get in that right relationship with him, and you've got to get in that right relationship with his church. It's so important. So hear my heart today as, I, as we talk about this. So we're here to serve the body. It's not me, but it's we. All right. From the moment that God created man and said, it is not good for man to be alone, you know, I, I think of guys like Mike over here. Brother, you're right there in the front row. You always get picked on. Mike, you know you couldn't live this life alone for long. You need Shelly. Maybe for a week. Maybe for a week or two. And then you'd be so miserable, we'd be begging her to come back because we know you. And I'm the same way. I already, I already told on myself. God knew that man, men, couldn't be alone for long. It would mess them up. If God knew that, why don't we know that? We need to understand that there's a reason that he put woman in relationship with us. He created the woman from one of Adam's ribs. He called her his helpmate. All right? That joint relationship then led to another where the two who had become one we're now in a relationship with their God. What an amazing relationship that is. In fact, the Bible says that God came and he walked in the garden in the cool of the day looking for his man and woman, looking for that couple who he had placed in the garden. Of course, he didn't find them. Why? They hid themselves. They had even sewn fig leaves to cover up their body parts and God said, why did you do that? And they said, because we were ashamed. How did you know you were ashamed? You know, one thing led to another. And finally they had to give it up. Well, the serpent told me to eat from the tree of good and evil. And I did. Well, that could have been disastrous. It was disastrous in a sense. 
But thankfully, God wasn't done there. That sin separated the man and woman from God. That relationship that he had established with them had been destroyed in that moment of sin. But then God said, you know what? I'm not going to leave it this way. I'm going to send my son Jesus. And he's going to come to earth. He's going to be relational with you and me. And he's going to take our sins on him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank God for that right now. Thank Jesus for dying for your sins. Because without him, you'd still be in sin. All right? But God made a way where there was no other way. That's how our God is. He loves us that much. He loves us too much to leave us in sin. So that's a good thing. Amen? Hallelujah. The local church, then, is a natural extension of how God designed us to be. And that is, of course, relational. Through relationships within the body of Christ, we are stronger and better prepared to meet the daily challenges that each one of us face. How many have gone through something really tough this last week? Really? The rest of you guys are like sailing? Wow. I expected just about everybody's hand to go up because I've been hearing about it. All the things that everybody's facing these days. It's just horrendous. Through relationships within the body of Christ, we are stronger. And together, there isn't much we can't do. Together, there isn't much we can't do. Our goal, then, should be to see our world one to Christ. I'll tell you what, we wouldn't be experiencing any of these problems that we're experiencing right now, that you see on the news and in the paper and whatever else you read. You wouldn't be seeing all these problems if these people had been reached with Jesus. Give God the glory. Amen. The truth is that if we were doing our job, this world would be a different place. But we have been slackers. Can I call us that? We have been lazy, church. And I'm saying that capital C, not just Mount Hope here in Gaylord. I'm saying we have room to grow. And it's time. I believe this with all my heart. God has given us a reprieve. He's given us another opportunity to see His glory come on this earth. But it's up to us. It's what we do with this time that He's given us, this short time. I believe it's a window. We can do one of two things. We can just sit back and let everything keep coming at us like we have. Or we can start getting intentional as a church and start reaching people for Jesus. I believe that the latter is what he would desire for us. But it takes all of us to fulfill this end goal. I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But together, we can do it. We can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength. Now, from the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, he challenges us to do life different. You can't if you're born again, you can't do life like you did it before. You can't. 
If you are, then I would question whether or not you're still born again. I want to read from Romans chapter 12, and, and that's the primary text that I'll be using from here out. Beginning with verse 1, the NLT says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So the Apostle Paul is saying that if you really want to bless God, what do you need to do? Give yourself to him. Now, if you give your body to him, what's left? Nothing. You've given him your all, and that's what he's saying. We need to give our all to him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If we could work toward this, God's perfect will for our lives, what couldn't we do? But it requires this. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. We've got to stop thinking the way we used to with this mind and start thinking the way God intended us to with this mind, with this heart, with the spirit that we're made of. We must think differently. And I asked Andy, I didn't ask Sarah, but Sarah, hopefully you're okay with this. Too late. <laughs> Several months ago, uh, Andy and Sarah chose to do things a little different. They chose not to watch movies that were filled with cussing and sex and with murder. And, and they didn't do this for, the, for us to do that. They did this because they wanted to honor God with their lives, and they wanted to draw closer to him. They wanted their bodies, their, their lives, to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. And I'll tell you, I've seen such a change in you two since you have purposed in your heart to do this. It's not that easy. And if you know Andy, he's a movie guy. He loves movies. So this has really been difficult for him, and I think that's one of the reasons you've been ornery. You've been missing all those movies. But you know what? God's going to take that other desire away, that worldly desire, and replace it with one where you're just loving on him and he's loving on you. And, and I see that happening in the two of you. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. So what's tripping you up? What's pre preventing you from receiving God's best in your life? All right, let me leave you with that as we move on. The Apostle Paul shifts from an individual focus to what it means to serve in the body of Christ. So jumping, I'm going to jump down to verse 4 here, all right? And I do have it up behind me. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, right? Right, yeah. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and all, we all belong to each other. Now, again, don't just skip over that. Tim, you belong to me, man, right? I mean, that's scary. Now, I wouldn't abuse you because I love you and you're my brother. But I also belong to you. I mean, when we really get this in our spirit and you realize we're family, whether we like it or not. Mac, we are family. Whether we like it or not. Hopefully we like it. 
We're going to be with each other forever in heaven. We better like it. This is just, this is dress rehearsal right here. It's going to be a lot cooler in heaven, though. Trust me. All right, where was I? <clears throat> Each part has a special function. Ask yourself, what am I called to do? What did God make me to do? Don't minimize the fact that you belong to each other. That's kind of a scary thought, really. Because we're so inward-focused. You know, we're so selfish most of the time that when you start thinking about this, like, I don't want my body, I don't want to be belong, I don't want to belong to somebody else. How many would say, I don't want to, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Several guys did, yeah. You're, you're, hey, you're being truthful, God bless you. I don't know that I like the thought of that, but this is the gospel. It's the way that Jesus intended us to live. Verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability, and now he's going to start a list of things that God has put in the church, that he's put in us to use, where? In the church, to see the church grow and he's really talking about that last thing he told us to do, and that is the Great Commission. The church is here for one reason and one reason only, to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about in the end. So with that in mind, listen to these gifts, and then I want you to, as we go through this list, I want you to say, all right, where am I at? And let me just say this isn't an all-encompassing list. There are other gifts but I just want you to start getting the idea of what did God give the church to use to bring him glory. So if your ability is to prophesy, he said, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. So all you prophetic people, Julie, speak out with all that God has given you. If your gift is serving others, and we need serve, serve, people that serve, he said, serve them well. If you're a teacher, what? Teach well. Why don't you work with me here? When I say the gift, you tell me what we're supposed to be doing. All right? Next part. If your gift is to encourage others, if it is giving, if God has given you a leadership ability, if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, don't just pretend to love others. Let me stop there. Come on. I talked about this last week. The pretenders. Wow. How many of us, we come to church, oh, hey, brother. <laughs> Air high five. <laughs> I love you. Love you, love you. And then we get out there. Who are you? I don't know you. We see each other in the store. <laughs> You better things to do. You get that call. Hey, can you come and shovel my driveway? I, I, I broke my ankle this week. I, I really don't have time for that, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I only say that because one of the brothers actually had this happen last week. So, And they did come to help them. Thank you for that positive note. But many of us would say, oh, man, I ain't got time for that. If you really... Love them. Don't just pretend. Love them. Hate what's wrong. Your turn. 
Let me say that one, one more time because this is another strong one. Hate what is wrong. Love each other with genuine affection. Never be lazy. Rejoice. Be patient. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, always be eager. This is a good list, isn't it? Any church that practiced what I just talked about here, what you just helped me read, would be a healthy church. That's right. That's right. The Apostle Paul gave us this list, and then he tells us with each one to use them with excellence. Do your best to carry out whatever it is God's given you to the best of your ability. I think and I fear sometimes that in the church we have gotten really sluggish with the gifts God's given us. Even with our abilities. And we've forgotten why He gave us these gifts. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. The bottom line, we all have different gifts and whatever gift God has given you, you should use it to the best of your ability. It isn't healthy to be focused only on me, so do your best to recognize that it's all about we. All right? Romans 12.10, I love this. This is from the message. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing the second fiddle. You know what the second fiddle is? It's not the first fiddle, is it? What'd you say? Okay. Prefer others before yourself. What it means is, is that you think more highly of those around you than you do of yourself. You're not number one. And that's intentional. God designed us to be this way because when we make others number one, God makes us number one in his book. And I would rather he thought I was number one than any people thought I was number one. So this is a healthy place to be. I intentionally, when I started this, I skipped over verse 3 in Romans 12. I want to read that now. This is from the NIV. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and this is my highlight, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Can you say that with me? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now all this lines up with the rest of the verses we just read. I wanted you to have this little nugget tucked away at the end just because I want you to realize that when we put others ahead of ourselves, God can do something with that. He can grow the church. It isn't, in a, if you ever find yourself in a church where everybody's me-focused, it's not going to be a pleasant place because everybody's going to want to get their own thing done. And they're not going to want to budge when it comes to pastor wants to do one thing, deacon wants to do another, the choir wants to do something else. I mean, there's just all this contention going on. But when we learn to love each other as we're really supposed to, when we hold each other hard, you know what? I'm no more important than Pastor Roger who's over our worship team. I'm not. 
Now, God may have called me to be the lead pastor here, but that's just because somebody's got to lead. You can't have more than one leader because then there's all this frustration and stuff. But my brother over here, I respect what he has to say, and I, I believe he respects what I have to say. We're in this together. And all of us need to look at each other in the same way. That's God's plan for his church. When you become more superior over others, everything you do will focus on what's convenient for you. And this is a dangerous place to be. And I, I wanted to share a quick illustration. I went out the other day, and, and I shovel my drive most of the time by, with a shovel. We have a big, long drive, all right? So I go out to shovel. I start, and all of a sudden I heard a noise that's very familiar to me because I have a neighbor who's aged. He's a senior citizen, he and his wife. And I heard that, and I'm like, oh no, maybe if I just ignore him. Because I went out for some alone time. I just wanted to, it was a beautiful day, I just wanted to shovel my drive and leave me alone, don't bug me. And I looked down and there's my neighbor stuck in front of his mailbox. Now he's up in the ears and my, then I start thinking, oh, if he gets out of that car, he's going to have a heart attack trying to dig himself out. And I'm working through all this in about a five-minute period of time. Anybody else? Am I the only one that ever struggles with this stuff? Finally, I, I conceded. All right, Lord. Went in to get my keys, and honestly, the minute I went to go in the door, my son Troy came out, and he was dressed to help. And I'm like, yes! You know, God had my back. And we got in my truck, went down, and we hooked the strap on his vehicle, and we pulled him out of the stuff that he had driven into again. I hope he, I hope he doesn't hear this message. But <laughs> Here's my point. When I started that day, I was a me-focused. By the end, I was we-focused, and God blessed me because of it. And I'm telling you, the guy was so grateful when we finally pulled him out of there. He was so thankful that we showed up when we did. The church is no different. What are you blowing off because you're thinking like the world? Because you're thinking it's all about you. I'll leave you with that as I move into this last part, where this church is going. I want you to hear this. It is so important that we understand what we're about. And this is going to help you today. We need you. Point, point, poke your neighbor and say, they need me. We need you. Here's the thing. We need you, but do you see that we need you? Do you see that we need you? We need you to invest your gifts and your talents. Those things that Paul talked about we need you to invest them, your resources. We need you to invest them in the people that the Lord is bringing into his house. At the Hope, we begin with the little ones, and, and we take this seriously. Our nursery and our pre-K. Do you realize that children form 80% of their brain by the time they're three years old? Think about that. That means that they learn to talk, 
their little personalities are shaped. All of this in the first three years. Now, if your nursery, at whatever church you go to, if it's just babysitting, we're missing the opportunity to pour Jesus into those little hearts. Which is what we do here at Mount Hope Church. We believe that it has to be more than just babysitting. It is investing in those little ones. And we need people to do this. Then we have our elementary and our junior high age. Look at those happy little faces. For some of you, they'd consume you. They'd eat your lunch. But there are people in this room who love kids and kids love you. And we need you to help us minister to this age group. Vladimir Lenin, founder of the Russian Communist Party, said, Give me your children for four years, and the seeds that I plant will never be uprooted. What are we putting into our children at this age? We turn our children over to godless schools and or we place them in front of a godless TV, and then we wonder why they become such a mess as they grow up. We need to invest in our young people. That's the whole purpose behind the R3, is to build the rooms so that they'll be friendly, they'll look appealing to the parents, and when they come in here, those kids are going to learn about Jesus. That's the whole reason behind what we're doing over there. We need to teach them what it means to be polite, what it means to serve, and, of course, we need to teach them about Jesus, the lover of their soul. And then we have high school. This is a scary bunch. <laughs> if you is one, you know what I'm saying. This is where these kids are trying to find themselves. Anybody else remember that when you were young? You never find yourself. That's the bad part. But you, you so want others to like you, right? We're, am I the only one? So you would do just about whatever it took to get people to be your friend. Even if that meant going places you shouldn't go. I raised my hand on that. You don't have to. Because I wanted people to like me. So I did some of those dumb things that they did. This is perhaps the most impressionable age where they really do try to fit in. And this is where parents and grandparents need to ensure that their teenagers are getting into a church where they can hear about Jesus and form relationships, right relationships, not the unhealthy ones. And hear this, most Christians come to Christ by the time they're 18 years old. Most Christians, I mean, it's an enormous percentage, like 90%. That's a lot. That tells me that we have got to be investing in this age group. We've got to be leading these people to Jesus. And at the Hope, we're all about building relationships and helping guide our teens into those meaningful relationships, first with the Lord, then with each other. Our teens are the next generation church. Let's not blow it.
My point with all this, church has to be intentional when it comes to discipling young people. What does it take to train our children up in the ways of the Lord? It takes dedicated and faithful people, people who are willing to do whatever it takes to give Jesus this generation, to give this generation Jesus. I said that wrong. I am also dyslexic sometimes. Our goal then will always be lead people to the cross, lead people to salvation. That's what we're here for. If we ever take another path, then we are in error. That's heresy. But we're not there. We love Jesus, and we know that he is preeminent. He is number one, and we want all of our people to realize that. And we will work at getting them into that relationship. Now, this last scripture, Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. It doesn't say they won't ever leave it. But when they're older and they're wiser and they realize that, you know what, I remember back when, and I've heard more people come into church as an adult and say, I used to go to Sunday school. I used to go to the youth group. And then I took another path. But God got a hold of my heart recently and I'm back. But it took parents willing. It took grandparents who fought for those kids to get them into church where they heard about Jesus. Where you, tra- you train them in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not turn from it. There's another proverb that says, not from the Bible, by the way, that says it takes a village to raise a child. I believe that's true. I remember when my wife and I were younger parents, and we had four boys. Uh, there were weeks... There were days when we'd go to church and I'd just say, go, go where the wind blows you, go. Because I was so tired and my wife was so tired. We were just exhausted from trying to raise those kids and I was so grateful for an hour and a half where I wouldn't have to be the disciplinarian. Now, was that the right attitude? Probably not. But you know what? Here's the thing, when I would get them back, and this was at Mount Hope in Lansing, we had a great program there, but when I got them back, they were better. I could tell they had spent time with Jesus. I could tell they had had fun with their friends, but they'd come out of there with something. They were better. It's so important to have church for your kids. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm asking you, the church, the body, help us. Help us teach our children. The babies, preschool, elementary, junior high, high school. And I don't want to end there. There's one last part. How many of you have been in here on a Sunday and you're not supposed to be looking, but I say all heads bowed, all eyes closed, and if you need Jesus today, raise your hand. And Some of you, I see you peeking. 
And you see this. You see hands going up, acknowledging, I need Jesus. I need him to forgive me of my sins. I need him to make me that new person. I'm desperate for him today. Over the last year, we've had probably, and that's just rough guesstimate, because you never know. I try to count from up here, but everybody's supposed to have their eyes closed. So when you think about this, if there were about two to three hundred people that prayed the prayer last year through the 52 Sundays, where are they? Where are those new converts? that God sent us. Now some are here and others have left. But what I'm asking you is, we're not doing our job because this church should be at a capacity and we should be at a second service by now. Just with those people that raised their hand for salvation and prayed the prayer. We're missing something here. And it dawned on us recently that You know what? We can't do this on our own. We need your help. We need to begin mentoring. When when I ask people to stand as I'm doing right now, please stand with me. When I ask the audience, do you need Jesus today? And those hands go up. We need something in place where those people can be taken off into another area and just talk to just for a few minutes and say, hey, look, what you said to to the Lord today is so important. We don't want you to get out of here without at least getting your name and then connecting you with a a believer in our church that'll just help you through this new process. I like to call it mentoring. I don't know what the official title is going to be. I'm working with some of the men in the church to develop this discipleship program. And then we're going to Ask them to join us in a seven-week study called The Seven Basics. So easy. The book, I mean, everything in it is about Jesus, and it's so easy to understand. But I need adults who are mature in the Lord, who would be willing to invest in these people's lives so that they don't become a number, a statistic, and next week they're out there living for hell again. Because somebody cared enough to grab hold of them and say, Hey, I've been where you're at. I've been, I have done the things that you've done. I lived over where you're at right now, but that's behind you. Now let me tell you what God can do for you. And you can nurture them. You can help feed them. You can pray for them. You can call them once a week and just say, Hey, how you doing? Now, we still might lose a few. That's all right. That happens. I hope we don't lose any, but the point is, I want this to be more that we keep than we lose. And I believe this is God's plan for this church. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity those who fall, who has no one to help them get up. We need each other. 
already had you stand. <laughs> you can sit down if you don't want to agree. <laughs> I'm not trying to be sneaky. I just blew that one. This is when you're supposed to stand up. We can't do this without you. God has a plan to reach the lost. He wants us to be world changers, and we can do that together. We can change our community first and then the rest of the world. But it takes us working together. And I would just ask, with everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, if you would, just, just for a minute. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I believe God's challenging me today, and, and I want to be a part of this. Whatever it is that my gift or talent is, I want to use it to God's glory. And I'm going to work and do my best to figure out where I'm supposed to fit in. If it's not at this church, in your local church, whatever community you're from, if you're not from Gaylord, if you are from Mount Hope, that means here. Would you lift your hand if that's you? You're willing to do whatever it takes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The rest of you that didn't raise your hand, I hope and pray that you ask the Lord throughout this week, Lord, what is it that you would have me do? Because my fear is that you're going to get to the end of the, this life and you're going to find out that you never did anything. And you're going to hear those infamous words from the Lord that say, Get thee behind me, I did not know you. Throw this person into the fires of hell. Get them away from me. My paraphrase. But those servants who were faithful, he said what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, just as Paul did, join the body, become a part. Stop being selfish, start thinking with that changed, transformed mind that God has already given you if you're born again. And this leads me to the very last part of this. If you're here today, again, if you would, everybody's head bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, you've never committed yourself to him or you haven't asked him to forgive you of your sins and you'd like me to pray with you, I don't want to leave without doing that. So if you're here today and you need Jesus, you need me to pray with you, just lift your hand up real quick so I can see it. Anybody? Yep. Hands. Yep. You can put them down. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. There you go again. There's several people that raised their hand. This happens on a regular basis, and we need to mentor these people. We need to love them into the kingdom and keep them strong. We need your help. So next week, you're going to hear more about this. I hope we don't come in and have 70 people here. That was a joke, kind of. I hope we're at 170 or whatever, and I hope, or 200. I know a lot of you are going to Florida this week, but God will bring them in. So we need you to raise this church up. You're going to hear more about this next week or something similar, and I trust the Lord's going to do this. I want to pray with those who raised their hand. I'd ask our family of believers to, to jump in here with me today. If you just raise your hand, I want you to pray this out loud like you're saying this to Jesus himself, and I believe he's right in front of you right now. He's listening. Pray this with me, saints. Heavenly Father, I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner.
and I have fallen short of your glorious standard. But I believe Jesus came for me. He died for me. He was buried for me. And on the third day, He rose from the dead for me. (laughs) And now, I have the prospect of eternal life. Today, I say yes to Jesus. I say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person and help me to live for you all the days that I have left. And if I start to wander off the right path, have some of my brothers and sisters grab hold of me, shake me if need be, but lead me back to you. And help me to do likewise with my brothers and sisters if they need me. I love you and I commit my life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen next. I am so excited. The hard part is we have a short little block window of time that we have to get through. And, but God's building the church. This is his work. This is a pastor norm. You know that, right? I mean, everything I'm giving you is scripture, so I hope you realize this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the church. So come on back next week, strap that seatbelt back on, and yeah, ride the wave, boys, ride the wave. Jesus, we love you. Use us. Shape us, mold us, If need be, break us and then remold us. Whatever it takes, Lord, but we pray that you would be glorified in and through this church. We pray that you would show favor on us, Lord. Those that need jobs, those that uh, are in broken relationships, heal them in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood over every person in this room, over every believer, the blood of Jesus over every person, Lord, that's sick in body, that they are healed in the name of Jesus by his stripes. And Lord, we just honor you with our lives. May we be a living testimony to what you've challenged us and called us to be. And Lord, again, bless these people, keep them safe as they come and go. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray today. And everybody said, God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.